Well, thank you, Brother Mike, and thank you, Music Ministry. If you perhaps didn't catch the theme of our singing together this morning, it was the cross of Jesus Christ. And because of that cross, we, we have hope of eternal life. Uh, we, have, um, we have a purpose for which to live, and we're not just living for today or living for this life, uh, but we understand there's something so much greater that God is doing, and we're certainly thankful for that. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd invite you to take them and join me in Genesis chapter number 41, please. The 41st chapter in the book of Genesis is where we'll find our text. This is a wonderful uh, mid-September Sunday morning crowd. We're glad that you're here, and we're looking forward to what the Lord is going to do among us throughout this day. And I want to encourage you to um, make, it a, make it a habit of being back on Sunday night, if you can. 6 o'clock p.m. we'll be meeting tonight. We are preparing our hearts uh, for a revival meeting that begins two weeks from today. Evangelist Dave Young will be our guest. And the Sunday night service is really kind of being spent just kind of preparing our hearts for that meeting. And uh, that day is also a day that we're calling Friend Day. We're encouraging folks uh, to invite someone who you consider to be your friend. And we want you to find someone who maybe doesn't have a church home already and uh, invite them to come, perhaps someone who's lost, who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and uh, they will hear a very, very clear presentation of the gospel that Sunday morning at 10, 15 a.m., and I hope that you'll participate in that. Again, we're in Genesis chapter number 41. We're working our way through the life of Joseph, and I want you to look with me, if you would, in verse number 38. Where the Bible says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is? Speaking of Joseph, A man in whom the Spirit of God is. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house. According unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. I'd like to spend the next few minutes this morning preaching a message that I've entitled, Joseph the Leader. Joseph the Leader. On Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001, unimaginable tragedy struck our nation when extreme Muslim terrorists completed several suicide missions by crashing airplanes into buildings of financial and political significance. For those of you that lived it, you remember that initially we suspected that this was an accident when that first plane struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City at 8.46 a.m. However, we, we knew something much more sinister was at play when the South Tower was also struck by an airplane at 9.03 a.m., most of us, again, that lived through that day will never forget the images that came to us that day by way of television, a day we remember just this past Monday as the 22nd anniversary of these horrific events. As these moments played out, our president at the time, George W. Bush, sat in a 
reading lesson of an elementary classroom at Emma E. Booker Elementary School in Sarasota, Florida. An aide leaned into his ear and whispered these words, America is under attack. Our nation's leader, I remember watching the footage of that event and it was obvious that he was deeply disturbed, but he tried very diligently not to alarm the children who were sitting before him in that classroom that day. After the reading lesson finished, President Bush went to another classroom in the school building to assess the situation. He would finish that day eventually by giving a speech from the Oval Office in an effort to display his resolve and determination to unite us as a country in the face of fear. You see, most of his advisors were telling him, do not go back to Washington. We do not know if all of the plans that these evil people have planned have uh, been accomplished. And if you go back to Washington, you'll put yourself in more danger. But he was determined to give the speech from the Oval Office that night. A few days later, on September the 14th, he stood at ground zero visiting first responders and recovery workers who were there to assist with the cleanup. And you may remember seeing this with a megaphone in his hand. Someone shouted from the crowd as they were kind of scattered all around that area, we can't hear you. Immediately, George Bush, holding that megaphone, uttered these famous words, I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Immediately, the crowd of workers began to chant in unison with great pride, USA, USA, USA. I watched the footage from that event earlier this week just to make sure I had all of my facts right. This may have been President Bush's finest moment of leadership. And perhaps the very purpose for which he was born was to guide our nation through this very dark and very difficult hour. As we come to Genesis chapter number 41 this morning, we discover the story of Joseph's life begins to make a dramatic turn here in our text. We've watched as Joseph has been lied about, as Joseph has been betrayed, he's been sold into slavery, he uh, he has been cast into prison. He has labored uh, in anonymity for a period of years. And, and we've wondered all along, Lord, where are you? And why have you allowed Joseph to experience these things? He's done nothing to deserve this. And yet, here in our text, Joseph ascends from the pit and from the prison to the palace. He goes from being a slave to being a prince, a more remarkable turnaround is hard to find in world history. Joseph is given a position of leadership in our text. But if you've been paying attention, if you've been watching every step along the way, Joseph has been a leader. In other words, he does not just become a leader in Genesis 41. Oh, he's given the position and he's given the title. He's finally recognized as who he really is. But if you study the Bible, you will find that Joseph has led in every place he's been. He led in his father's house there in Genesis chapter number 37. He was a leader in Genesis 39 in Potiphar's house when Potiphar literally turned everything over to Joseph and, uh, and did, not even, did not even know the things that he had in his house because they were under Joseph's stewardship and care. Joseph is a leader in the prison in Genesis chapter number 39 in Genesis chapter number 40. And, and, uh, and, and in Genesis 37, Joseph is a 17-year-old boy. In Genesis 41, he's a 30-year-old man, according to verse number 46. And yet at every stage and at every age, Joseph led and has led well. 
Now, you know this to be true. Our country is in desperate need of good leadership. Our homes, can I just, can I just turn our attention to our own homes and can I say our homes in America are in desperate need of good leadership? And can I just be real frank? Our churches are in desperate need of good leadership here in 2023 as well. What should, what should you and I look for? What should we look for in a candidate that we're going to cast our vote for? Here in just a month or so, there will be a, an election and, and uh, you'll be asked to vote on certain people. And I trust, I assume that you will exercise your right to vote. It's a privilege that you have. There's a lot of countries in which people would love the opportunity to vote. And yet sometimes we allow those opportunities to pass us by. How many times do we just go to the ballot box and we just, we just check off something? Maybe because, well, they're part of my political party or maybe somebody I know told me to vote for them and so I'm going to do it. Oh, what a shame that we would approach it in such a way. No, we have a responsibility to, uh, to make sure that we are placing in front of us leaders who will lead well, who have the, uh, have the right qualities and characteristics that we ought to be looking for in a leader. Uh, how about this? What should you look for in the, in the pastor who's going to lead you? Some, some people say, well, you know, he, he, he preaches good sermons. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm just saying in general. He preaches good sermons. You know, or maybe he's, he's a younger guy. He's sort of charismatic, and we like that. I want you to know something. There's so much more to being a pastor than just being able to preach some good sermons. There's so much more than just, well, you know, he's, he, he's young, and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's fun to be around, and he's likable. No, no, listen. We, we, we need strong leadership in our churches today. How about this? What are, you, what are you looking for as far as leadership in the family is concerned? Perhaps there's someone in this room that is, maybe you're interested in being a leader in some way. You say, I, I think that might be for me. I think that might be what God has for me. That might be part of God's plan for my life. I believe we discover here in our text some key Bible principles about, uh, about leadership as we consider and learn from Joseph the leader. With a great dearth of good leadership in our world today, our our biblically illiterate society has been infiltrated. Listen, it has been infiltrated by wicked leaders. The consequences of this cannot be overestimated. Listen to what the Bible says about wicked leadership. The Bible says in Proverbs 29:2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Why are we mourning as a society today? Why are we crying today? By the way, this is not a Republican-Democrat thing. Listen, listen, the Republicans are just as much a mess as the other party is, and vice versa. This isn't, this isn't about political parties today. I'm here to tell you, listen, we are mourning as a culture. We are mourning as a society. Why? Because the people we have elected are wicked. They're wicked. They only care about themselves. We're mourning as a society today because in many cases there is no leadership in the home whatsoever. Everybody just kind of does their own thing. Kids are raising themselves. Mom and dad have little to no interaction or communication. They're doing their own separate thing. Listen, we're mourning as a culture and as a society today because in many churches, in many churches, men have not led well. I want us to consider some principles of biblical leadership we find in this text today, and I want to sort of draw it all to a conclusion and look at the greatest leader that has ever lived. Number one, I want you to consider that leaders are critical 
during moments of crisis. Leaders are critical during moments of crisis. In verses 33 to 37, Joseph has has previously laid out what is coming. And we talked about that last week. There is a great famine that is coming. And unless, unless the people of God put their, uh, excuse me, the people of Egypt put their trust in Joseph and what he's telling them, they will not survive this coming famine. Joseph recommends in verses 33 to 37, he recommends that Pharaoh appoint a, a leader who, whose sole responsibility will be to see them through this great coming crisis. This leader, Joseph says, will need to be discreet and will need to be wise. The leader will need to oversee the collection of the fifth part of the land of Egypt throughout the seven plenteous years, according to verse number 35. And can I just say, listen, a leader, a good leader acknowledges during times of plenty that it will not always be this way. Those of you that manage a home, you enter into a season in which maybe there's extra blessing. You're, you're wise to maybe put a little bit of money aside knowing something's going to break down soon. You say, well, everything's working right now. Well, everything's working right now, but everything's not always going to work. Some of you moved into maybe some older homes, and you understand older homes take a lot of work and maintenance and upkeep. But you know what I, I've come to find out? I've come to find out newer homes need a lot of those things too. Living in a fallen world, listen, everything is falling apart, beginning with our own physical bodies. We know how our bodies break down over time, and you mark it down, your vehicle will break down over time, and your house will break over, down over time, and everything, listen, everything will need constant maintenance and upkeep and attention, and I'm just here to tell you, listen, a wise leader understands, hey, we may be having a good time right now, but we're not going to live like we're going to have a good time. We're going to put some things aside, understanding bad days are coming. Many men fail to anticipate the evil that is coming and they spend all of their resources with a live-for-today mentality. Listen, difficult days are sure to visit each and every life. Who is leading you in these moments will be critical in determining success and failure. It makes, it makes a difference. Hey, girls, it makes a difference who you marry. Because listen, your marriage will experience moments of crisis. You better make sure that you've married a young man who knows how to walk with God, and who knows how to pray, who knows how to get a hold of God during moments of difficulty and crisis. Church family, you better, you better consider carefully who it is that you allow to serve as your pastor. Why? Because every church will experience moments of crisis, and leaders are critical during these moments. Notice, secondly, leaders not only are critical during moments of crisis, but number two, leaders should only be elevated as they display certain qualities. In other words, not just anybody can be a leader. Oh, hey, he's, he's breathing, he has a pulse, let's let him lead. It doesn't work that way. No, you want someone who has certain qualities and who displays certain abilities. Now think about this, Pharaoh was a pagan man. Pharaoh did not, did not know or worship the true God, but listen, he exhibits great wisdom in appointing Joseph to be elevated as a leader in his kingdom based on these qualities. He tells us why he lifts, ele why he elevates Joseph to a leadership position. Notice what he says. He, he says this, he says about Joseph, number one, the spirit of God was in him, making him fit to lead. Think about that. He says in verse number 38, he says, can we find such a one as this is? A man in whom 
The Spirit of God is. The appointment of Joseph was a wise one because he possessed the most important quality of any of them. A walk with God that made a difference in his life and in the lives of those around him. Now think about this. How much, how much different would our world be today if we determine, you know what, we're going to only elect leaders based on their spiritual condition. We're not going to look at, we're not going to look at what political party they represent. We're not going to look at where they graduated from or perhaps even some of their past accomplishments. We're going we're to elect men and we're going to elect women who walk with God, who the Spirit of God is upon them. Don't you suppose that might change Washington, D.C. just a little bit? Don't you suppose that might change Columbus, Ohio just a little bit? Don't you suppose that would change the, 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 the community that you live in just a little bit? Without a doubt, Pharaoh says, listen, why, why should I elevate Joseph to a position of leadership? Well, listen, he, 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 we can't find anybody else like him. The Spirit of God dwells in this man, making him fit to lead. Can I tell you that I think not only would our our nation and our state and our communities be better places, but our churches today, I believe, would be better places if we only elevated leaders based on, based on things that were spiritual. Would our marriages be better off if we determined that the most important element we are looking for in our home is the spiritual element? Again, if there were some young ladies who said, you know, listen, I'm only going to marry a guy who knows the Lord. And not just, not just knows the Lord. In other words, they verbally assent to the fact that they know the Lord. No, no, I'm only going to marry someone who it is obvious they walk with God. And it is obvious that they're on their knees on a daily basis. And it is obvious that they're in God's word and that they know God's word. Listen, and that they live God's word. By the way, those things are easily discerned. It's not hard. It's not hard to get around someone Pharaoh does not know God whatsoever, and yet he looks at Joseph, and he spends a little bit of time with Joseph, and he says, hey, this guy's different. If Pharaoh could recognize that, surely the people of God should be able to recognize that and be able to tell, hey, this young man, this young lady is different. This man that we're considering to lead us is different. The Spirit of God was in him. I say the Spirit of God in a man makes him most fit to lead. Instead, today, we're looking for, well, how good of a communicator is he? We're looking at how, how many degrees does he have? We're looking at who else has endorsed him. And I'm just simply here to tell you, we ought to be looking for these types of things. Does he know the Lord? Does he walk with God? Is the Spirit of God in him? Notice not only was the Spirit of God in him making him fit to lead, making him worthy of being elevated. Notice, number two, he was discreet. The word discreet speaks of good conduct. Just this week, just this week, we learned of two conservative national leaders who have not behaved themselves in a discreet way. Some of you, you don't maybe follow these things all that closely. And so I'm not even going to get into great detail about it, but it's shameful some of the things that these folks have participated in. Shameful. And these are folks, listen, that are supposed to be leading the conservative cause, things that a lot of Bible-believing Christians hope to, to see our country move in a certain direction, and yet it's shameful the way some of these people have, have behaved themselves. Shameful. Joseph wasn't that way. Joseph was discreet. It means that Joseph was a man of good conduct. The Spirit, listen, can I say this? The Spirit of God in a man will transform a man. 
from the inside out, leading him to be a man who conducts himself properly in all things. You see, there's an order here. You get the spirit of God in you, and you'll become discreet. You'll become an individual of good conduct. See, we're trying to get the cart before the horse. We want everybody to think that that we're good, that we're of good behavior and good conduct. We want people to respect us, and yet we want to ignore the Spirit of God. We want to ignore God's leadership and God's God's whispering, uh, convicting spirit in our lives. And I just want you to know something. You cannot be discreet. You cannot be an individual of good conduct apart from the Spirit of God at work in your life. That's how it works. Because Joseph had the spirit of God in him, it made him discreet. It made him someone of good conduct. But notice secondly, or thirdly I should say, not only was the spirit of God in him and he was discreet, the Bible says that he was wise. The other word used here is wise and speaks of an ability to make good decisions. It is interesting to note that that this is listed last. In other words, this isn't at the top of the list. Pharaoh says the spirit of God is in him. That makes him fit to lead. He's discreet. In other words, his his lifestyle is one that is worth following. And then Pharaoh says this last, and he's even wise. In other words, he has the intellectual capacity, the intellectual ability to be able to lead. He can can form a sentence. He he, He can convince others to follow him. And yet this is listed last. Can I say it should be taken into account that a, leader, that a leader should be intellectually up to the task? But listen, that is third in the list of priorities to be looking for. Godliness and good conduct will take a man much further than his intellect ever will in leadership. So we see that leaders should only be elevated. They should only sit in a position of leadership as they display certain qualities. Notice thirdly, leaders are not without accountability. Would you look in verse number 40? Thou shalt be over my house. According unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Notice the next next phrase. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Joseph was instantly given a position of leadership in Egypt. He was given a ring, a robe, a gold chain to wear, according to verse 42. He was given a chariot to ride in, and the subjects of the kingdom were made to bow before him, according to verse number 43. Joseph, listen, Joseph was living out the dreams that he had dreamt so many years prior in Genesis 37. As a 17-year-old boy, he had a couple of dreams that he dreamed in which people were bowing before him, and he was in a leadership role. And here it is, here it is five chapters later, and Joseph is now living out those dreams. Human nature, man longs for position, longs for title, benefits, and accolades. The goal for many is to rise to a level in which there is no accountability. And I just want to remind you this morning, listen, no matter how high and how far you may rise, there will always be accountability. In our text, we discover that Joseph was given incredible power and position, yet yet he would always answer to one, that would be Pharaoh, But if you know Joseph's life story, you understand that he lived with a continual awareness that he was accountable to God. 
In fact, in Genesis chapter number 39, when he is being tempted by Potiphar's wife, and there's no one around to hold him accountable, there's no one around who will know if he gives in, if he yields to this temptation. Listen to what Joseph says in verse number 9. He says to Potiphar's wife, there is none greater in this house than I. You know what that means? That means that I'm a leader. That means that I'm a ruler in this home. And yet notice the rest of what he says there. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife. And that's what he says. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Here's what Joseph understood. Joseph understood his daddy wasn't looking over his shoulder and watching every move that he made. And Joseph understood, you know, my brothers aren't around to watch me if I were to trip up and fall. Joseph understood this. There's a God in heaven who is watching. And can I remind you that that God has not has not ceased from watching people as they live their lives. He's beholding you. He's beholding me in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we carry ourselves on this earth and in this life as the famine would eventually come. Joseph not only viewed, understood that he was accountable to Pharaoh, he understood that I'm living with an accountability to God, but Joseph even carefully stewarded the seven years of plenty well with an understanding that he would one day be accountable to the people for their very survival. He understood that. I remember shortly after I became pastor of the church, we were, we were coming to the church. I don't know if we were going to school or we were coming for a service, and one of my kids was just trying to figure this whole thing out. My kids were younger then. I don't even remember which one it was that asked the question, but they said, they said, Daddy, now that you're the pastor, does that mean you don't have a boss? That was the question. And I thought for a moment. You know what I told them? I said, no, no, I, I, I have a thousand bosses now. <laughs> I'm accountable to every one of you as your pastor. And you need to hold me accountable. And you need to expect and anticipate that I'm going to live my life in such a way that is worthy of this office and that I'm going to conduct myself and my affairs in such a way in which I don't bring any shame upon this church and upon the word of God and upon the cause of Christ. You have an ability, listen, you have an ability to hold me accountable that I stand behind this pulpit and that I preach the word of God to you and nothing less and nothing more than the word of God. You don't come here to listen to me tell some cute stories. You don't come here to listen to me give my opinions, what I think about this or what I think about that. You come to this church with a Bible open saying, tell us, what does God have to say into our lives and into our culture and into our world? Do I have a boss? I have a lot of bosses. And so do you. You're a husband in this world. You have a hus- you're a husband in a home. You have accountability to your wife. You have accountability to your children. You have an accountability to pay your bills and to go to work and to work hard and to take care of your own needs so that somebody else doesn't have to look after you and take care of you to the best of your ability. You go to work somewhere, you've got someone telling you what to do, and even if you're running the company, you've got people that are counting on you to do what you're supposed to be doing. Listen, there's not a person in this world, no matter how high you may rise, who does not possess some level of accountability to someone. And even if you get to a point where, listen, I'm the top guy in the world, whatever that is, there's a God in heaven who you will one day stand before and give an account. One of the great misunderstandings among many today is that positions of leadership come without accountability. Evil men, listen, evil men maintain their hold 
on positions of power because those under them do not hold them accountable. You know what needs to happen when a political leader embarrasses us with the way they live? They need to be voted out. That's what needs to happen. But they don't get voted out. We forget about it. And we just continue to do the same things we've always done. And we're reminded of what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 29 too, that when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Listen, we're mourning as a culture and as a society today. Understand, listen, a day of reckoning is coming. Romans 14, the Bible says, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Periodically, I'll pick up the phone. I'll make a phone call or I'll shoot a text. Hey, I need to meet with you. And the person immediately responds with, is everything okay? Did I do anything wrong? Am I in trouble? And I'm sitting here saying, what, what power do I have to make anybody get in trouble? To be very frank, sometimes people will call me or they'll email me and they'll say, I want to meet with you. And I'll think to myself, uh-oh, what did I do? Am I in trouble? But think about this. Listen, think about this. Every one of us, we're living our lives. And it's in essence what God is saying here in Romans chapter number 14 is he's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to meet with you someday. You're going to stand before me. I'm going to, I'm going to bring you into my office. You're going to appear before my throne. We must all appear before the judge. This isn't just for the pastors. It's for everybody. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Are you ready for that day? Are you living in light of that day? A leader is not without accountability. Number four, a leader's first priority is in his own home. A leader's first priority is in his own home. Would you look with me in verse number 45? The Bible says there that Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave to him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And Joseph went over all the land of Egypt, looked down to verse number 50, and upon and unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, verse 52, and the name of the second called he Ephraim. We'll talk a little bit more about these boys and what their birth did in Joseph's life and another message. But I just want to remind you, listen, a man who enjoys much professional success but fails in his home is a failure. He's a failure. The greatest priority and responsibility is to steward, listen, is to steward your marriage and your family. You say, well, I, I go to work and I got lots of people looking to me and lots of people under me and I'm really successful and I make a lot of money and I'm climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah, but your, but your wife doesn't think you're worth anything. Your children have no respect for you whatsoever because you're never around. What difference are you making in this life? Now listen, your first responsibility is in your home. A pastor can stand and say, I, I pastor hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people. People look to me as a leader. They invite me to different events and I pray in the, in the, in the social you know, uh, world of things. I, I open up meetings and I, I, I'm, I'm asked to, to speak and to give my opinions on things. But your, but your family's a mess. What difference are you making in this world? God gave Joseph a wife and two sons. 
The birth of his sons were monumental moments in his life that made significant impact upon him. You know, I find it interesting that it was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the one who instigated Joseph's marriage to his wife. Maybe Joseph, excuse me, maybe the Pharaoh understood a key principle that great leaders often further hone their skills for leadership in their own homes. You know, God, you know what God said about a man who was going to, who was going to effectively uh, lead a church? He said this, if he can't lead his own home, then he can't lead the church. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now, now let me just pause here for a moment and help you understand that doesn't mean that his kids are perfect. There's no such thing. And by the way, I grew up in this church, the son of the pastor. That was my role for a time, and you folks gave me great grace. And I made some mistakes. I did some things that I regret. Some of you, you remember them. Some of you like to remind me of them. Let's just put that to bed right now, can we? <laughs> I'd appreciate you giving my children the same grace that you gave to me. Pray for them, love them, understand that they're just kids. But, but also understand, listen, that there is an expectation that my kids not be completely and totally out of order. They be in subjection. That they, they follow us as their parents, at least while they're living in our homes. That's what God's expectation is. And I would just say this, watch closely the home, the family of a man who will seek to lead others. If he is incapable of leading his own family, how then can he possibly lead others effectively? Can I also interject the need for leaders to be able to spend some time at their homes and with their families? You know, there will be some things your leaders won't be able to participate in if they are to give priority to their families and their homes. This church has been, again, so very kind to its leaders to allow us time away from work and away from the ministry to be with our families. Not all the time, but there is an expectation that we spend some time away from here, that we, that we be allowed to leave the office every once in a while and spend some time with our families, with our children. Can I say that's a tremendous investment as it allows a man to give attention to what is most important so that he can function in his leadership role in a healthy and peaceful state. You see, if the home is out of order, the leader is never going to be what he should be. And so you allowing leaders to be able to spend time with their wife and with their children allows them to come back to work in a much more healthy and effective manner. Number five, leaders should be visible to those they are leading. In verses 45 and 46, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah. And look at the end of the verse. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Look in verse 46. Once again, at the end of the verse, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Twice in two verses, the Bible makes note of the fact that Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. No doubt, Joseph was selecting officers over the land as he prescribed to be done in verse 34. Joseph was probably building and overseeing the building of storehouses where they would keep the fifth part of the land that was taken up during the seven years of plenty. Can I, know, can I point out, stayed there where things were peaceful and things were quiet, but instead, Joseph understood, if I'm going to be an effective leader, I need to be visible. 
I need to be out and about among the people. I need to, I, I need to go out over all the land of Egypt to see exactly what it is that we're dealing with and what is coming to us so that I can get a clear picture of what is on its way. I say the leader, leader needs to be visible among those that he's leading. As a pastor, I have a responsibility to, to know you and to, you know, I don't just pop up on the platform two minutes before the service starts and hang out in my office or pull in just as the church is getting started and leave just as the church is ending. You know, I have a responsibility to be around, to greet folks and to talk to folks, to pray with folks as the opportunity arises, to be available to counsel folks as, as the need arises in their lives. That's what good leaders do. It's a biblical principle that they be visible those they're leading. Number six, leaders must acknowledge that difficult days are always coming. Murphy's Law states, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Living in a fallen world, we must acknowledge, even in seasons of growth and blessing, that decline is always not very far away. The Bible says that the earth brought forth abundantly during Joseph's first seven years of power, but he did not use this time for his own personal enjoyment or benefit. You know, leaders, typically, that's what they do. They use their position of leadership to help themselves. I was reading my own personal Bible reading this morning. The people came to Samuel, and they said, give us a king. Samuel went to God. He was really distraught about this. And God said, no, you need to allow them to, to have a king. But then he said this. He said, but you need to let them know what this king will do. And you know what Samuel said? Samuel said, I'm going to give you a king, but understand this. He's going to use you and your children and your resources for his own personal gain. That's what leaders do many times. In other words, they, they lead and they have a hard time resisting using their power, using their authority to, to do anything other than bless themselves. Joseph wasn't like that. He took those seven years, and instead of making himself rich and himself wealthy, no, no, listen, he, 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 made, he made sure that, listen, the seven years of famine are coming, and unless we live like we're in a famine right now, even though we're in the years of plenty, we're never gonna survive the coming famine. That's good leadership there. That's leadership that understands that difficult days are always coming. As we conclude this morning, it's necessary for us to make personal application. Are you a leader in some way? Many of you are. You're a leader in your own home. Some of you are leaders here in this church. Perhaps you're a leader in the neighborhood. People come to you. They know you've been there a while. You, you know what's happening, and, and, and you've got your house in order in some respects. Maybe you're a leader in the place that you work. As you consider these principles, are there areas of weakness that you can recognize and acknowledge in your realm of leadership. Can I encourage you to ask the Lord to help you in these areas and maybe study carefully the life of Joseph to gain a better understanding of biblical leadership? And can I say this? Should we not demand a higher standard of our leaders than we do? I mean, it's just people living in society. Should we not just say, you know, well, listen, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to vote for people. I'm going to vote for, I'm going to elect people who represent my values and are living in a way that is discreet and is wise. Perhaps I'm going to vote for people in which I can sense that the Spirit of God is upon them. May God give us wisdom to elect men and women who exemplify biblical leadership principles in the political and even in the ecclesiastical or in the church realm, as well as in our homes and our families. Finally, as we conclude this morning, lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me. Again, there it is. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I know who's leading me. I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, there are leaders that want to lead you for the next few years. There is one leader who wants to lead you in this life and in the life to come. His name is Jesus Christ, and unless you know him, you have no hope of eternal life. Unless you've been born again, unless you've repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the prospects for you are not good in the life to come. There are two places that Men go when they die. One place the Bible calls heaven. Another place the Bible calls hell or the lake of fire. The key to heaven is not being a good person, paying your taxes, loving your family, taking care of your responsibilities. That doesn't get anybody to heaven. No, the only way to heaven is knowing Jesus. is allowing him to lead you, repenting of your sin and placing your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Won't you allow the Lord Jesus to lead you? Listen, in some respects, we, we may have very little to say about who's leading us as a country because, listen, when a country is over, overall, when a country is wicked, it's going to have wicked leaders. Listen, we can have a say as to who we allow to lead us in the church, who we allow to leave our, lead our homes, and who we allow to lead us personally. And that ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment.